0: Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your host Jenny McDonald and Will Higman coming to you every Tuesday with our tales of the weird historical random whatever the case may be whatever suits us especially Jenny who is our our researcher extraordinaire I am the random guy that has no idea what we're about to talk about so let's see if Jenny will give me a couple hints here and uh, see if it's something I actually know anything about so so what are we what are we talking about today
1: something weird something historical and something random
0: weird historical and random well, those are the best things by far um
1: it involves cryptology.
0: Ooh. Um,
1: but not murder.
0: All right. Um, we're gonna go with like the Enigma Machine or something fun like that.
1: Didn't we do the Enigma machine? I don't
0: think we did the Enigma Machine, but we might have.
1: Oh, well, it's not that.
0: <laughs> all right. Um not that. We we it's did a the Victorian. Voynich manuscript. So
1: it was super hmm? popular in Victorian era cryptography. Okay. Hmm. Mostly with women.
0: Interesting. I do not know the language of flowers.
1: The language of flowers. My God, All man, right. you know everything.
0: Cool. All right. Yeah. At least at least I've I've heard of the language of flowers and I've done the quick lookup of like what do these flowers mean? But yeah. <laughs> cool. But I, yeah. I am definitely not fluent in the language of flowers.
1: Well, I highly recommend watching a show called Rosemary and Time. It's British, available on YouTube. They have a whole episode about the language of flowers. It is murder mystery and it's great. Um <laughs> But the language of flowers is also called floriography. Okay. And essentially it's just the cryptology, cryptographical. It's Whatever
0: cryptic yeah.
1: message. <laughs> Encoded
0: messages. We'll go with it's that. It's
1: an encoded message. There we go. Through the arrangement of flowers. Um, so flowers obviously have kind of a longstanding tradition as a way to express emotions. I mean, they found floral arrangements back to prehistoric times with um, deceased individuals. They found like seeds from flowers. Yeah. So we tend to convey our affection, our joy, condolences. When you don't have words, you provide flowers. It's a thing, right? Yeah. And through the art of floriography, um, emotional intimacy has allowed this to allowed a different kind of language to flourish, um, where otherwise you might not be able to put into words how you feel the flowers can do it for you. Okay. And according to the Royal Horticulture Society in Britain, it's a practice that dominated Victorian culture in the U S and England, um, It has been, it was largely forgotten for a really long period of time, but it's starting to kind of pick back up in relevance. Um, So, one of the most recent examples is King Charles' choice of funeral wreath for his mother, Queen Elizabeth. Um, He chose various things to express his sense of loss through the flowers. So, for example, some of the flowers were like myrtle which hmm. represents love and prosperity. And it was paired with English Oak, which recommend, which represents strength. Hmm. Um, to anybody that didn't know what it was, the wreath was kind of just a pretty interesting wreath. Right. But to people that do know it, you understood just the importance of what the wreath was standing for.
0: Yeah. That's cool.
1: It's uh, so it's really kind of a cool way to communicate these emotions. The tradition has always kind of existed when it comes to floriography, but it's just kind of a much smaller version than what it was during the Victorian era. So, like a bouquet of roses, most people understand symbolize romance, um, but it's certain colors that mean romance, friendship, mm-hmm. uh, and different kinds of love, right? Yeah. So we may not perceive certain kinds of flowers as positive or negative, but Victorians would have. We still do know though, certain flowers for certain occasions make more sense than others. So as we get through it, that makes, it'll start to become a little bit clear. So flowers as gifts for special occasions can be a little bit more thoughtful when you're using the language of flowers. So you could base it off of the type of flower, the color of the flower, um, truly floriography itself has been around for thousands of years. This is not a, a new concept. I mean, this was something that ancient cultures have also utilized to express feeling and emotion. Um, and people will come to florists still and ask them, what does this flower mean? Would it be inappropriate to use for this situation? Yep. So how it influences decisions for people that are buying flowers is that um 29 of people say that they pick the flower that they're picking based on the color red is the most popular choice mm-hmm. um, it symbolizes passion and is universally recognized as an expression of love and then pink is kind of interesting because it depends on if you're from the u.s or like japan for instance what pink could mean okay. um so like in Thailand, it's a symbol of trust. In Japan, it's a symbol of good health. <laughs> so mm. it's this kind of variant. Yeah. And the single color, there's a ton of different symbolism. So that's just a, a little bit, right? Yeah. And so if you look at the flower itself, you can look at something like a sweet pea. It's a summertime flower. It comes in various colors, but the meaning of it is the same no matter the color. It's a token of thanks. Okay. So if you were in Victorian era time and you had gone to a party and had a really good time, you would thank the host by sending them sweet pea flowers. Hmm. And also you, know, like you would further express by pairing it with other stems. So like if you put it with zinnias, for example, um, zinnias signified an everlasting friendship. So if you put zinnias in with your sweet peas and sent it to a host, that meant I am in, I want to be your friend forever. Nice. Right. But just like everything for all the good, happy things, there's also like, you send me this flower and you are dead to me, mothers. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Right. So, like, I kind of love carnations, but yellow carnations are not something you want to send people because it's been a long held history that yellow carnations is a symbol of disdain for someone. Another Mm -hmm. flower I enjoy, the buttercup, um, also yellow, (laughs) <laughs> uh, but the yellow petals are synonymous with childishness. So Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> this is boding well for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, And it's a long considered bad idea to pair red and white plants together. Because hmm. it's thought that the red and white together foretell death. Interesting. Unless you're an American and it's anytime. time... Yeah, they could use. I was going to say
0: that's always when you <laughs> always put red and white together,
1: right? Yep. So the the significance of all these codes and connections is um, written down in a couple of different books. One of the most commonly identified books is the Illustrated Guide to the Victorian Language of Flowers by Jessica Rue, um, and she basically says, you know, like we've seen symbolism since the beginning of time um so it's no surprise that people would use flowers to sim- make symbols right yeah so this book is also adapted to a calendar in case you need like smaller bites of how to get into floral floriography <laughs> um and obviously like any language it has gone big to small to big again right
0: yeah
1: um So flower meanings were taken from literature, from mythology, from religion, from medieval legends, even like the shapes of the flowers hold meaning and often florists invent symbolism to accompany their inventory to make it sound better as to why you would use this particular flower.
0: (laughs) I can see that. Oh, yes. This flower means whatever the hell we want it to.
1: Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So... um, yeah. The other book is Charlotte de la Tour's La Language des Fleurs, which was published in 1819. This was the first of its kind that detailed the symbolism of flowers. It had such a profound effect on 19th century Western society that scholars actually cite it as one of the most valuable artifacts and understanding traditions at that time. Mm-hmm. And also, it's super important because a lot of times flowers were given to women and or given by women. So this is one of the rare practices of women that was really written down during this period of time. Okay. Women's history is almost non-existent, especially outside of um, nobility. I think we've talked about that before. So although the practice filtered through the social classes, that was primarily popular with women of privilege, um, which is mostly due to the fact that financially they were in a position of privilege, right?
0: (laughs) Flowers Uh, are expensive. Uh, Flowers
1: are expensive, right? But it's still inferior to male counterparts, but they were more likely to send them. Mm -hmm. So it's a time when women were also not encouraged to be very outspoken. So the floral accessories allow them to communicate with other people and offers a way for them to speak without messing with their social status. So, young women of particularly high society in this era embraced this practice. They would send bouquets as tokens of love or warning. They'd wear flowers in their hair or tucked into their dresses, celebrating anything floral. A lot of them created floral arrangements called Tussie Moosies or nosegays. Um, <laughs> I've heard of a
0: nosegay, but Tussie Moosie is new to me. So, that's that's
1: cool. I, I might be pronouncing it wrong. Um uh, T U S S I E. So, it might be Tussie, Tussie Mussies.
0: Yeah, sounds. Either way, <laughs> sounds interesting why it's
1: a great word, right yeah yeah um so these were small blooms in a small bouquet and they would wear these as accessories um so especially like when they would go places to signify affection, desire or sorrow. and it was just this really like weird way that they were allowed to share their true feelings on display at all times without actually showing their feelings, right. Mm-hmm. They also thought that the Tussie Mussies would ward off disease, which yeah. not an uncommon belief when it comes to flowers and things. So at the beginning of the 20th century, particularly once World War One started, floriography is pretty much halted um, due to war, poverty. No one really took time to give a shit about elegant flowers anymore. <laughs> just wasn't a thing, right? Yeah. But the memories of floral arrangements were so deeply woven into Victorian culture that it permeated the literature. And it was always just kind of in the periphery of things. Um, it it takes you can even see how floriography has a key role in the 1920 novel, The Age of Innocence, which is set in Gilded Era, um, New York. OK, so this is centered around the upper classes, imminent an upper class couples, imminent marriage. Um, It explores social mores of the 1870s in New York. And basically the use of flowers plays an important role in the narrative because the character always is seen sporting white blooms. And that's important Um, because the white blooms that she has are lilies of the valley and they kind of represent her inner inner, innocence in the world. Um, And then her cousin is associated with the color yellow throughout the novel. So when her cousin's boyfriend sends her flowers that are yellow, he believes them fitting in her confidence and worldly experience. Um, the bright yellow captures her exotic knowledge of the world. <laughs> that just sounds like something terrible when you say it in this era, but okay. But the, the juxtaposition between the white and yellow um, really shows you the difference between the two young women. So one is all about, this innocence, and then the other one is about this wild worldly matter, right? Mm -hmm. Then later we see again, flowers emerging in literature in um, The Handmaid's Tale for Margaret Atwood. So the red tulips are symbolic of the handmaid's fertility, as well as their confinement. And it's still used, like flowers are still used quite frequently in literature to show kind of subtle coded messages that you have to pay attention to. So, yeah, um, we're welcoming floriography back. Like I said, it's kind of a postmodern means of communication and it's kind of growing, but it's also subject to change. So the one of the articles I read actually compares floriography to emojis. Yeah. That like, they don't mean what you think they mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it varies based on who you're using it with, right? So yeah. you, you could send a flower to one person and it means one thing, but the same flower sent to another person from the same person wouldn't mean the same thing.
0: Yep. And then they mean different things in combination with each other too. So.
1: Right. So if we look back, we can find that floriography really found its roots in Ottoman Turkey, um, especially during the court of Constantinople and also during the tulip obsession in the 18th century. <laughs> right. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but during the Victorian period, when it really took off, it was also kind of coinciding with this big interest in botany and how plants work. So there was this growth pattern of them evolving together. And then the actual craze itself was introduced in Europe by the English woman, Mary Wortley Montague, who brought um, floriography to England in 1717. And also Aubrey de la Matre, who introduced it to the Swedish court in 1727. And this was just super novel. You know, this high court women are bringing this really important information through to people. And of course, somebody has to jump on and create the first dictionary, right? So you have Mm -hmm. the dictionary of the language of the flowers, which was French. um, And it had flowers with symbolic definitions. (laughs) <laughs> and eh, you know, it's old until the, the next one came out from yeah. De La Tour. Robert Tyus was a popular British flower writer, publisher and clergyman who lived from 1811 to 1879. And he wrote the sentiment of flowers, um, which was published in 1836. It really was though, of course the United States who jumped on a trend because we do love good trends. Um <laughs> And you get, the language of the flowers in the writings of Constantine Samuel Raffinesque, who was a French American naturalist who wrote um, ongoing features in the Saturday Evening Post. Nice. And that's what really kicked it off in the States. Um, The pieces contained information about the botanics. Um, They had the English and the French name of plants, a description of the plant, an explanation of the Latin names and their emblematic meanings. Nice. It really was a simple digestible way for people to learn about the language of the flowers. And of course, during the peak, the language of the flowers attracts the attention of all the popular writers of the time. So you've got ladies magazine, um, the Godey's lady book. Once again, these are all ladies things that these Mm -hmm. are popping up in.
0: Yeah.
1: And they printed from 1832 to 1860, different language of the flower writings. Okay. So it was super, super important to women's literature, but it wasn't just women's literature because we're talking about um, William Shakespeare, Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte, Emily Bronte, Frances Hodges, Burnett, all of them use language of the flowers in their writing. So, for example, Shakespeare used the word flower more than 100 times in his plays and sonnets. So like in Hamlet, Ophelia mentions the symbolic meanings of flowers and herbs as she hands them off to people. She talks about pansies, rosemary, fennel, lilies, and daisies. She regrets. She has no violets, but they all withered when her father died. Hmm. I'm a big fan of Shakespeare. So I tend to hold on to those ones. That's cool. Yeah. And then of course, like in Harry Potter and um, sorcerer stone, they use the language of the flowers to express regret and mourning of Lily Potter. Um I think that they use a lot of flower expression in the Harry Potter books, but that's just okay. they use them yep. for potions. Right. Uh, flowers are often used as a symbol of femininity. So in John Steinbeck's story, the chrysanthemums, they center around yellow florets, which are associated with optimism and lost love. So if you see beloved chrysanthemums tossed on the ground, um, it would symbolize that womanhood was ruined in that hmm. book. Several Anglican churches in England have paintings or sculptures of lily crucifix or Christ holding a lily. Um, An example is in the Clopton Chantry Church in Suffolk. And during the Victorian pre-Raphaelite era, um, painters and poets aimed to revive the pure version of late medieval art and wanted a lot of classic beauty and romanticism. Because remember, Victorian period, we love romantic stuff. hmm So they often used women with nature and morality. So flowers were all over any picture of a woman. Okay. Because it symbolized, you know, this purity and such. So today the emphasis on the language of the flowers pretty much has lost its luster in popular culture, but they're still appreciated for their beauty and when given as a gift for their generosity and thought. So. Let's go down a rabbit hole and learn some random-ass facts about oh, flowers.
0: That sounds good.
1: Scientists discovered the world's oldest flower in 2002 in China. Hmm. It was 125 million years old. Nice. It's called the Archaeophructus sinensis. Guess what kind of flower it looks like.
0: Um, I bet it looks like a daisy. It's
1: not a bad guess. I When I read this, I was like, I bet it absolutely looks like a fern because I would have assumed like it was a fern since that was one of the first water plants that made it to land. It was a modern day water lily. Oh, nice. Right.
0: That would make sense.
1: Yeah. And then you have the thistle. Do you know (laughs) the history of the thistle?
0: I know it stings like a son of a bitch and has a pretty red, pretty purple flower on it. (laughs) It's got meaning in you know the whole irish and scottish scottish especially you know the old shamrock and the thistle thing but yeah
1: so the reason why it has meaning in scotland is when the vikings invaded scotland they were slowed down by patches of wild thistle huh. and this allowed the scots to escape their wrath because of that it became the national flower of scotland nice Yes,
0: I just remember running into them in our field back when I lived on the farm, and they they were not pleasant to accidentally bump into. So
1: I love thistles, I think they're gorgeous. Um, okay, did you know that there is a flower that represents the three celestial bodies the sun, the moon, and the stars?
0: Huh, let's see. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Something with a nice orange center, and then something or a nice yellow center. Uh, what, What do you got?
1: It is a dandelion.
0: Ah, okay, yeah. that makes sense.
1: So you were right. You don't have the yellow center. So the the yellow flower resembles the sun, the puffball, the moon, and then as it disperses, the stars. The stars. That's cool. Yeah. And then we have- kind of alluded to this, but several yeah. centuries ago, Holland loved their tulips. Uh, yes, they were more precious than gold. Um, this ultra expensive flower was used to symbolize love life and immortality. Uh, even the broken bulbs of the tulip were super expensive in the 1630s. They had a frenzy for tulips uh, that occurred mostly in, uh, Holland and they called it the tulip mania. Mm -hmm. And during this frenzy, tulips were so expensive that they used them as currency.
0: Just always sounds amazing. Right. You always think of the, you know, the tulip festival in Wamigo with the Dutch mill and everything. So it's good stuff.
1: Yeah. They just had that like what, three weeks ago?
0: Yeah. Pretty recently. Yeah. I missed it this year, but still it's cool. Cool to go out and see all the tulips.
1: It is. And it's such a, a neat little town to go hang out in. Yep. Um, the most expensive flower, the Semper Augustus tulip, used to cost 10,000 guilders. <laughs> um that was that's, the cost that's... of the finest house on Amsterdam's canal.
0: That is nuts.
1: Right? People love those damn tulips. You may have heard this, um, but may not have ever seen it. Did you know that bamboo develops flowers?
0: I think I have heard that, but now I've never seen bloomed bamboo, so
1: it's possible because it takes 65 to 120 years for them to grow a flower.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Right. Uh, bamboo, all the flowers of the bamboo species develop at the same time, no matter where in the world they're located. Hmm. So at somewhere in that 65 to 120 year range, all the bamboo in the world will bloom at once. That's we just awesome. haven't experienced it in our lifetime yet. <laughs> I'd like to understand that more. Bamboo yeah. is also crazy invasive. Yeah. So, when I worked in uh, North Carolina, I remember that people would complain all the time because um, people brought bamboo over because it grows really fast. Mm-hmm. And they brought it over in the 1800s. Um, I'm going to say from China because I can't remember where they told me it was from. And it really took off there because the environment was just right for it to blossom. Yeah. And it became crazy invasive. Took out a bunch of native plants, and now they're doing everything they can to get rid of it. Kind of like we're trying to get rid of all of our Bradford pears. Yeah. Which, my God, if I could do anything to get rid of my Bradford pear, I would. But it's so expensive. <laughs> 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 Anyhow, uh, this is the story of the language of the flowers. Will.
0: No, very cool. Because yeah, I've always you know heard some about it. Especially yeah, if you ever pay attention to Victorian stuff, it kind of crops up. But. I've never known any of it beyond just the, you know, looking up which color of rose means this sort of thing. But I don't know, you know, all the different subtleties with different types of flowers and colors and everything is, yeah, pretty fascinating. But
1: I think that there's probably some really good, like, story behind some of it, too. Like, Mm -hmm. there's probably some clandestine story that we've never heard because no one wrote it down about how this saved someone's life or something and i would just love to stumble across that little article but yeah it
0: seems like seems like something should have happened with the you know the french resistance or something that had something to do with you know the language of flowers that did something but yeah
1: i mean it's kind of niche but i guess the people that are the ones that are receiving the flowers would know what they mean hopefully
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. But I mean, it's a cool thing. Like you said, it'd just be an, an extra little added meaning to something pretty that you give people that, you know,
1: yeah. And I like that. Yep. Kinda it's pretty
0: nice. cool. Yeah. Yeah. But no, thanks for, thanks for that. It's a fun topic. And uh, now I'm going to have to go look all these things up, <laughs> go, down, go down the rabbit hole of all the random weird ass flower meanings that can be found, you know,
1: I know. I, yeah. If you do watch the show, Rosemary time, one of the things they're doing is building a garden. And they find out that the guy that had previously built it had built it based off of the language of the flowers. And so they decipher what the meaning of the flowers is and unveil, of course, some mystery. It's fabulous.
0: Nice. Yep. Yeah, that seems to be the sort of thing. If you're going to bury treasure in your garden somewhere, the language of the flowers should lead people to where it is.
1: I think that's awesome. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, very cool. So, yeah, No, thanks for the topic. And thanks, everybody, for listening this week. And as always, rate, subscribe, review. Tell your friends about our podcast, and uh, we will catch you all in a week. Bye, folks.
1: Bye.